This podcast is brought to you by EnergyX. Are you tired of paying huge rates to the big cloud providers? Are you worried about being booted off a cloud platform if your company doesn't meet their ever-shifting standards? Ready to step up your data security and disaster recovery game? Well, ladies and gentlemen, your new cloud is ready. Introducing xCloud, the scalable, resilient computing cloud that is also actually affordable. It's high-performance compute for half the cost. HPC for HTC. xCloud from Red Team is opening a beta program for new cloud computing customers, and that means you, my friend. The xCloud is powered by the XMDC Immersion Cooled Modular Data Center from EnergyX. I've seen this data center in operation, and it is a total game changer. So if you want more information about the beta launch, go to the URL in the description. Type in promo code BETA, B-E-T-A, for 50% off of your first instance. And so the URL is going to be digitalwildcutters.com forward slash energy. X. This is the Oil & Gas Startups Podcast, where we showcase emerging technology and the stories of industry founders, investors, and leaders with your hosts, Jake Corley and Colin McClelland. What is going on, Wildcatters? Welcome back to another episode of the Willing Gas Service Podcast. Guillermo, what is up, man? What's up? How are you, man? Dude, I'm good. I'm excited about this conversation. You know, we've we've been fortunate enough to to work with you guys over the past few years. Uh, the whole team, you know, from Tony to to Brian to Clint. Pleasure to be partnering with you. No, it's been it's been awesome. So I think that. It's a little different because I actually I know a significant amount about you guys. Uh, I know a little bit inside baseball, so I'm I'm trying to I don't know if I'm going to take the conversation a different direction or if I'm just going to make myself forget about some things. Um, but having sat down and, and spent a ton of time with your team, just kind of learning about y'all strategy moving forward, I think that you guys are an outlier. You stick out. I think that um, particularly just the strategy that, that Tony has kind of laid out, you know, from the top down around y'all's growth story, you know, as you know, traditionally you've been a driller, mm -hmm. right? Correct. And then I think that what we're seeing with you guys now is over the past few years is like this, it's not that you're abandoning your roots because that's still the core business. That's mm -hmm. still what pays Correct. the bills. It keeps the lights on, all your employees and stuff. But I think that you guys have really led the way on, I think this transition into kind of becoming more of like an energy technology company, right? right? And not just seeing yourself as, oh, we're just, you know, just a driller, right? right? And so, and we've seen that with with you know Schlumberger rebranding to SLB. Yeah, you know, we've seen that on yeah. like on much you know bigger scales with some of like the, the traditional uh, OFS guys. And so, you know, let's let's dive into really quickly. You know, what what is your role and what is your responsibilities at Neighbors? I think that's going to lay the foundation for for much of what we talk about. Today. Sure. And, and by the way, on sticking our necks out, that's leadership, right? Yep. You want to lead. You're going to have to stick your neck out. Um, and I think we've done that over the last uh, few years for sure in the energy transition space. Look, what I do, I, uh, I run our energy transition kind of strategy and investments um, globally, really. Um, not only with respect to the venture side, which we've made uh, a number of investments over the last couple of years. I think we're pretty large portfolio, I think 10, 11 companies at the moment uh, and growing. Um, and obviously the, the other strategy, which has been the SPAC strategy. Uh, just an, a financial instrument allowing us to do something of bigger scale as mm -hmm. we continue to spend time on some of this stuff. Um, so I, I run those both pieces. I recently moved to Dubai. Really? Uh, I did. And, and, and part of it is 
my day job is not my night job, which that's okay. Yeah. Uh, I continue to do that uh, globally from there. Uh, but importantly, um, you know, the next evolution is continue to try to focus on really bringing projects and capital to all of our portfolio, right? To ourselves, to our portfolio, to the development of what we're putting together. It's not simply about investing. It's not simply about creating a portfolio. It's about, it's about creating ecosystems and then feeding those ecosystems with synergies, right? Feeding those ecosystems with capital, feeding those ecosystems with potential and try to open strategic options for us in the future. To your point, um, a driller, an oil and gas driller alone is not enough. Uh, it doesn't, it's not enough for our expectation of what we see the future to be. And, and as, as we evolve into an energy technology company, we got to get educated around all sorts of primary sources of energy, around what that energy is going to be used as to how you deploy it. And frankly, this energy transition space is truly going to represent probably the largest reallocation of capital in human history over the next you know, three decades. Like this is, this is not small. Um, right. And so we not only want to be part of it, we want to be leaders. Mm -hmm. So that's the plan. That's, that's what I do. Well, so, so tell me about this, you know, cause you know, I, I, I kind of filled in what you guys are doing now, but let's maybe start at the end and then we can kind of work our way back. But like, what is, how do you guys think about the energy landscape and, and what is the vision for neighbors? Okay. Well, the vision for us is opening up strategic avenues. For us, our traditional business, our technology business to grow through and with, right? That's kind of fundamentally why the how is simple. We believe that what the world needs is dispatchable, baseload seeking, if you will, scalable and of utility scale to different things, sources of clean energy, um, clean and renewable, both important. Um, basically figuring out ways to remove compromise that comes attached with certain, Real quick. Um, basically ways to remove compromise from the energy landscape, right? We humans need a lot of energy, right? Like the world runs on 23 hours of power today. It was 10 uh, 25 years ago, it was five, 50 years ago, it's going to be 40, right? And as of today, you know, nuclear, solar, wind, they probably make about two out of the 20, right? Like there is a lot of energy to decarbonize. The world grows very fast. We need it more dispersed than ever before. We need it faster and more reliably than ever before. We've shot ourselves in the, a little bit in the foot with respect to PV and wind, right? Like intermittency is an issue. And so how do we think about it? We think about if those, are the, if those are the primary requirements that we need, dispatchable, baseload seeking, scalable, of utility scale, renewable and clean, what are those where we have a direct ability to influence, where we have synergies with, where we have capacity to actually change the dynamic, change the game, right? Starts with geothermal. Geothermal is obvious. In 1% of the volume of the planet is colder than 1,000 Celsius. That's, that's just because the planet is really big and the crust is really little and the rest is a ball of fire, right? I mean, just <laughs> by definition. Um, there's like, I think, I think the latest is like 50,000 times more energy than all hydrocarbons put together down there in the form of heat. Well, we, we know how to make a hole. We poke holes for a living, right? I mean, we know how to extract something of value out of it. 
um, we humans are really good at cost engineering. We humans are really, really good at getting better at something that you try. And um, and this this is ten kilometers deep, right? I mean, the sun is eighty six million miles away. This is ten kilometers deep. It's not theoretically it shouldn't be that hard. And so that's something where we can have a direct impact and effect. Over the last couple of years, there have been more geothermal startups than probably the last fifteen combined because of this patchability, because all sorts of issues are coming up. Where this is a very great way of decarbonizing utility scale assets and frankly behind the mirror assets over the world. Then you figure out, well, what are the things we need? We need storage. Um, we've made investments into, apart from geothermal, kind of the next evolution was, okay, well, there's also a piece of decarbonizing yourself, right? How do you, how do you make our assets more efficient? Well, hybridize an engine, right? I mean, if you run on four digital engines, just add a battery to it, you make it better, right? Challenges. Well, we don't, lithium is, lithium is difficult, right? Lithium has a difficult supply chain. Lithium catches on fire. Lithium require, requires cobalt uh, not to explode. Lithium is, is difficult. Um, mm-hmm. It also charges and discharges really slow. So if you're trying to effectively um, hybridize an engine to peak shape, uh, you actually need a battery that can charge and discharge very fast. You need that type of technology. So we've made investments into sodium, into alternative chemistries like sodium and Prussian blue through a company called Natron or uh, ultracapacitors, a company called UCAP. Um, really, really cool technologies, um, both aimed at thinking about how do, you, um, how do you effectively hybridize industrial assets, right? Um, you continue that evolution, and you think about our largest transaction today, and our most strategic and vast first, the, the, the company which our first SPAC, NetC, is merging with. The company that has solved or is in the process of solving or has systems that solve and ideas that solve and technology that solve some of the biggest challenges we think that uh, concentrated solar power has had. Everybody tries to do concentrated solar power and there are certain issues that have have happened over the years that have kept it from truly scaling to its full potential. But people keep trying. The reason they keep trying is because storage is important. This represents utility scale, 12 to 16 hours storage overnight, which is perfect. It's a battery that charges itself with the sun during the day for free. It's perfect, right? Um, And it also is a gateway to fuels uh, because it gathers heat. Therefore, is producing renewable heat. Renewable heat is really hard to come by. It doesn't technically exist, right? Concentrated solar is probably the only way we're getting renewable heat. Like, otherwise, you have to burn a, a fossil to get heat. Um, and so it's fascinating because heat is, first of all, for industry, something really hard to decarbonize uh, in industries like steel and others. But very importantly, it's a gateway to, hydrogen, to more efficient hydrogen generation over time which is also a gateway to synthetic fuels, right? And renewable fuels, e-fuels. Um, and that's, I think, where this goes next. It's actually interesting as we think about combining technologies and how this fits together, we start thinking about, okay, we've made a number of investments into the inputs of energy, geothermal, concentrated solar power storage. What are we turning that energy into and how are we letting our portfolio create something of value when they get together. That's kind of the next frontier for us. Um, 
listen, when 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 we showed up in in Australia to talk about uh, concentrated solar power, why why are you guys doing this? You'd be surprised how much automation, robotics, you know, material sciences, joint development we can do. And frankly, uh, to, to some extent, also our global footprint, right? I mean, like I said, I moved to Dubai for a reason. There's a lot of sun over there. Uh, there's a lot of sun, a lot of potential, a lot of growth, a lot of focus on on uh, an energy transition over there. And, you know, all of these pieces are pieces we use to help scale these guys up because eventually, eventually, some of these companies could change the landscape and become the pickers of winners and losers, right? Mm-hmm. You want to be there when they're baby. Uh, you want to be there at the beginning. You want to stick your neck out. We got to get really convinced that we're not taking science risks. We're going to be really convinced that no matter what the energy mix looks like in 15, 20 years, the pieces that we've invested in will have to be part of the mix. Come hell or high water. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. Uh, that's, I think, that's, I think, the hard part of the focus, what we're trying to, we're not trying to predict the future. We don't know what it looks like. But we know that some of these things, they're going to have to be part of the mix because of humanity. And it's just kind of reality of, of climate, of decarbonization, of where we are and our energy needs, frankly, fundamentally. So anyway. I, want, I, want to dive deep, I want to dive deep into all the things that you're looking at, all the things that you're investing in. But let's start off with, not that you have to pick a favorite child or anything, but like, what are you, what are you most excited about? <laughs> I'm very excited about VAST. VAST is a concentrated solar power technology. Part of it is how does that? What do you, how do you mean constant? Like all right. So normally, you have PV. PV receives the light mm-hmm. from eighty-six million miles away, by the way, and it turns it into electricity. Right. Yep. Concentrated solar power. It does is it basically you put a bunch of reflection, a bunch of mirrors, and you point it at a single location. That's like something you see out of like a James Bond. Correct. Movie, right. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Okay. Now, those are technically, that's the second generation, the big, big, big tower. That's yeah, the yeah. second generation. VAS has the third generation of that, that system. But, what it, but fundamentally what it is, is concentrating the sun's heat, heating a fluid, and storing that heat, very, very, that, that fluid very, very, very hot. What kind of fluid are we talking about? Uh, traditionally, it's done molten salt. They use molten salt. Molten salt is a great uh, storer of heat. Okay. That's another piece that differentiates VAS. VAS. In the big towers, the big, big towers, there's a whole host of inefficiencies about it, and I don't have a whiteboard here, but fundamentally the problem is you have single point of failure, you have one fluid loop, right? And because you have one fluid loop, the fluid that you use is molten salt. It's like one thing that goes straight to the storage tank and you store it. What VAS has done is modularize that system. Instead of having one big, 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 big circle, you think about the inefficiencies of a circle being like what happens every time you add another layer of mirrors. It's more expensive and add less energy. The fact that the receiver in the middle is getting different temperature profiles from different parts of the of the of its uh, circumference or whatever. Like there's a certain inefficiencies about that, that modularizing it solves. Problem with modularizing is hard to do with molten salt, right? These guys have come up with a very novel way of doing this with sodium, liquid sodium. Molten sodium actually is a great conductor of heat, much better conductor of heat than Is this literally like melted sodium? Yeah, correct. Wow. Uh, And so what it does, it allows them to basically, through a whole host of technology, uh, figure out a way to get this molten sodium really hot and a very stable temperature. Once it comes out of the system from the different modules, it goes into a heat transfer system that basically then stores stores that heat in the form of molten salt. So, starting with sodium allows is a better tra- a better transmission like transmission mechanism of that heat, better conductor of that heat, and and molten salt is a better store. So it kind of 
gives you the best of both worlds by combining them. How right? long can you store that heat? Is it like a? I mean, is this like the the Yeti cooler of of pretty much of heat I mean, where like it, it's just going to keep this stuff hot for a minute for a while? while. No, it's, okay. it's, it's lasts for a while. I mean, look, one of the things that is interesting about concentrated solar power is is perfectly unoverlapping with PV, right? So PV works thirty percent of the day perfectly well. Mm-hmm. But I then you need to do figure out what happens the next 12 hours to 16 hours, right? That's the key. That's the problem we all have. Well, what happens is what you could do is basically use PV for the 30% because PV is incredibly cheap. And during the day, molten salt is getting hot and stored, hot and stored, hot and stored all day long, right? By the time PV goes down, you basically the next 12 to 16 hours, you use that heat to move a turbine to produce electricity. So you mm. have... 85, you get to about 85 very efficiently, 85% very efficiently. If you, you can go all the way to 100, but the cost increases. How, not to get too technical, no, no, but no. how does the heat turn the turbine? You uh, just flash steam. Okay. The okay. Um, the interesting thing about a system that combines PV and CSP is that you get to 85% renewable stack at a pretty, a pretty attractive scale price. You think, how do I take that 85% to 100%? Ah, here comes our geothermal ventures, right? Sage in particular is a company that's developed a super fascinating way of uh, storing energy underground um, with the way they do it is basically when you inject fluid down the formation, you expand the formation, basically holding mechanical energy, right? Uh, And to the extent that there's heat inside the formation, you actually recover more energy than you put in, which is kind of super interesting because with that solution on a utility scale 200 plus megawatts to gigawatt whatever that may be you can take that 85 percent stack of renewable and take it to 100 percent. so all of a sudden you have a multimodal energy input system combining all of the technologies that we've created into producing 100 percent renewable heat and electricity i can then take the heat directly to make hydrogen instead of having to convert it to electricity first, which is an inefficient process, mm-hmm. I can take that heat directly and use it for the refining process of creating synthetic fuels or combining hydrogen with carbon molecules in a, in a way that I need. I can do so much with that mix, right? It's funny, as I think, you know, the, I, miss, I specifically miss one piece of this stack, PV 30%, CSP 55%, geothermal 15%, that kind of gets you to about, and it's not perfect numbers, but some, you know, round, yeah. number, right? You get to 100%. There's only one time in that day or in that year where you have a drop of power. That time happens to be when a cloud passes over your PV field and drops the, drops the power from the sun, right? Like you cannot, you're not producing electricity at that time. You need a backup kind of battery system. Guess what? Our sodium technologies are perfect for that, right? Like Natron is perfect for that. A company whose battery by definition charges and discharges very fast. Charging and discharging very fast is very desirable, right? Because when I'm trying to fill in a gap very fast, if I were to use lithium, I have to materially oversize the lithium because it charges and discharges relatively slower. So with Natron, it's a perfect solution. So we think about ways of being the glue that keeps all of these coming together and the synergies between them. We keep all of them aligned. We keep all of them against the same vision, energy without compromise. That makes sense. Mm -hmm. Is that fair? No. With that, that's remarkable. I, I hadn't known about any of that. What is the on some of the the deployments that Vast has now? How much how much energy we produce in some of the ones that they have now? 
And then what is like the footprint of that compared to like a normal solar field? It's about the same. If you if you do it on a megawatt hour basis, it takes about the same land to produce okay. per megawatt hour basis. That's one. Two, um, Vast is a company. The reason it's exciting is because it kind of comes first and it's the anchor behind different pieces, yeah. right? Like it's obviously one of our bigger transactions, but not only that, like I was explaining, it can be the anchor thing that starts bringing other pieces of our technology into. That's another piece. And then finally, with respect to how big they produce energy. One of the things that excited us the most about VAS was, look, I'm happy to take some engineering risk inside of ventures, but it's really hard to take engineering risk in the public markets, right? We do not want to take engineering risk, but let's take scale up risk, right? Hey, this works, let's scale it up. These guys synchronized uh, their demonstration project with the grid back in 2018. It worked for three years. Uh, so there's good operating data. We know it works. We know it's different. We know what makes it different relative to the second generation of concentrated solar power, the big, big towers, and what makes it more efficient, more effective. Um, and so at this point is figure out how to start deploying, right? How do we how do we start deploying in scale, not only here in the U.S., um, but, uh, but globally? And that's another one of the things I think neighbors to some extent brings to that's super exciting. On the the geothermal side, like what what investments have you guys made there? Uh, we made four or five investments. Um, you know, some of the more notable you probably would know or hear about uh, companies like Quace, companies like GA Drilling, companies like Sage. There's not trying to put chips on every geothermal company. We actually create this portfolio by putting things complementary to each other. Quace and GA are figuring out different ways of skinning the cat. How do you get to 10 kilometers deep ubiquitously, right? And cheap. I mean, look, I think the, the deepest hole we ever made was the Russians back in the day. They yeah, made 12 gigantic hole, like, yeah. Yeah, like hundreds of millions of dollars, tens of years, and thousands of lives lost. Like, yeah, yeah. It's I'm like, not yeah. sure we can do that. <laughs> not quite scalable <laughs> yet. Exactly. Um, so figuring out GA, figuring out how to use plasma to get to the promised land, Ways millimeter wave technology, basically trying to vaporize a rock, just basically ways of. So you're changing. using you're essentially using lasers to go in. Pretty much, and so I mean, Colin like Star I, Wars style. I remember we had talked about. <laughs> I talked about that with y'all's team, and it was funny because Colin and I, like five or six years ago, were talking about, like, hey, you know, you're using yeah, using lasers to essentially drill wells. And our theory, I'm curious to know if this is actually true or not, was that with like just the super high temperatures that you would essentially carterize like a lot of the, yeah. the rock and you wouldn't have to necessarily maybe even use casing. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. That's, I think, a little bit God, of what is like, happening. If we're pretty much engineers, no big deal. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> that's awesome. So, yeah. okay, that's really, really cool. And, um, that, and that changes, that's more for the utility scale stuff. That's a game change. That's a five, yeah. 10 years out. That's like, I go to a coal power plant and I say, stop burning coal. Let me make four holes and I'll power this forever, right? I'll yeah. get to 10 kilometers deep where there's basically unlimited energy and figure out a way to harness the same turbine, same infrastructure, like, you know, steam turbine all the way to the grid. It's mostly there, right? So it is a massively, it, like, it just changes the game on utility scale uh, generation. That, that would be a huge uh, game changer if, if these are successful. Another company called Sage, Sage is a little bit different. Sage is like, look, let's, instead of, trying to get to 10 kilometers deep. And why 10 kilometers, by the way? Because the temperature is high enough that it gets you to supercritical temperatures for water, 373 mm. Celsius. Supercritical fluids being a fluid that's kind of not really a liquid, kind of not really a gas, but it holds like 10 times more energy than all the above per volume. Yeah. So that's why that's the end game, right? Like get to 373 Celsius in water, 
Create supercritical steam, you're done. You 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 actually get to the efficiencies that you need to be competitive with gas. Yeah. Um, and so that's one. Sage figured out, well, supercritical temperature of CO2 is 31 Celsius. Hmm, sounds a lot easier to do than water. Um, but and by the way, because I don't need that big of a temperature differential to the ground, I don't need to go to a thousand Celsius so I can get to 373 for water. I can do it with today's drilling technology. So that's why. These guys are changing, instead of changing the game in terms of go, you know, 10 kilometers deep and get this amount of energy on law, like I make smaller systems, bad drilling, and get to your, uh, get to get use a supercritical uh, technology on the CO2 side and figure out ways to use today's drilling technology to get to, you know, 30, 50, 75 megawatts of power generation. And the good thing about Sage is kind of do it in steps, right? First, start with storing. Like, can... Can their systems basically pumping in, holding, and then coming out keep enough uh, mechanical energy? I think the, the latest I've heard was we're somewhere in the order of 70% round-trip efficiency, which is actually pretty good as a, uh, using the earth as a battery, if you will, just even mm. mechanical, right? Mm. And then what happens when you start accessing heat and you can recover that heat at the top? Then your round-trip efficiency becomes 200%, right? Like you end up getting more energy than you put in because you're kind of gathering some extra. So yeah. really cool stuff, but... This, that one is, is exciting because I don't need to change the way humans drill to go change the planet. I can actually start with something today. Yeah. And that's very exciting, right? That's That sounds similar. There was a company that we had um, had at Fuse last year, and uh, we, we've had them at the office. We talked to them in a while. And they're, what they're doing is, it sounds very similar to Sage, I think a little bit different uh, application, but um, they're solving the long duration uh, storage problem. But they're using uh, the the supercritical carbon, and they've created like this closed loop system to be able to do that. And so, like, yeah, well, this thing can hold power for like eight hours. Yeah, it's fantastic. It's fascinating, yeah. right? And I think there's there's a lot to supercritical CO two that'll that'll over time change things. Like, it's funny, you know, Sage developed this amazing turbine that can process um, this. As you know, CO two is quite corrosive, right? So it's really hard to get some of this stuff done, what changed the game for them is the fact that 3D printing is now ubiquitous, right? So they're mm. like, oh, if I can 3D print in titanium, uh, all of a sudden I can actually make a turbine that does all this stuff. And they they came up with this amazing design and turbine that works. It's very small, it's like it's like yay big, it's like, you know, three to five megawatts, what, which what, is- What's their website real quick? What are you talking about? Sagegeosystems.com. Okay, I'm gonna pull it up. It's super cool. Um, and, and we think about the future and we think, oh, you know what will be the next evolution of concentrated solar power? Stop using sodium and start using supercritical CO2. What do you need? You need a turbine that can handle not 150 C, but can handle 500 C. Hmm. Let's think about what stuff we have at neighbors yeah. that we can throw at the mix to figure out a way to change the fundamental design of this that already works and expand this, this tolerability, right? Like, there's so much potential in what we're It's super exciting. I mean, look, I've never been happier in a job in my life. Like, I, you know, I, I'm, I live on a plane. I am all over the planet um, all the time. But frankly, I do it with a smile on my face every single day. Like we are, we're seeing, we're exposed to incredible uh, ecosystems of investors and co-investors across partners. Uh, we see them as partners, as friends. I mean, the, our ecosystem of companies, we're all friends. Like we, we wanna make sure that we're all a team, right? Like there's zero competition, zero anything. Like we are here to open up markets. We're here mm -hmm. to change the paradigm we're here to figure it out and that's resonating and it's it's really just 
just makes you smile. Like it's it's awesome. It's really it's, it's really cool. fun. It's cool. You know, you get to see. I feel like I feel like we kind of I don't know. Our day to days are are probably somewhat similar in the, in the in the ways that you get to see a lot of cool technology, and you over time start to see how things can kind of play together, and you put together these pieces of the puzzle, and then that kind of starts to shape your vision of like what the potential for the future of energy can be. And we did the same thing just through the the podcast, content events and things like that. And so, yeah, it, it is exciting. Like there is a lot of like really, really cool things that are being built right now. And I can't think of a better time in, in history. You know, I've only been in the space for about 11 years, but uh, things have changed a lot. Oh my God, yeah. You know, and just the the rapid innovation, I think there's a, a much lower, lower barrier to entry uh, to kind of get in the space. Obviously, t- still tons of barriers when it comes to, you know, physical equipment, especially on the geothermal side, you know, it is still wildly expensive, but you know, we're seeing groups like y'all just throw tons of money into this to be able to figure it out. Yeah, figure it out. It matters, yeah. right? It matters. Um, it's democratizing. To, when yeah. when it's techno- when something is technology driven, it democratizes the situation, right? Because you're right. You have really bright people figuring things out, uh, and you know, people in the, I mean, everybody figures out how to funnel capital to where capital belongs and you figure out ways to help this guy scale. Look, we, we're, the, you, you said it right. We're not, none of these are betting the company. That's not the idea. The idea is do it now, do it early, stick your neck out, be a leader, be part of it from the beginning so that when this all continues to play out, you are in a position where you're playing in so many areas, these areas where you have a growth profile, where it's an exciting story to be part of this, right? Like, I'm not sure hiring the, la- the brightest minds in the world becomes easy 20 years from now if we continue, if we were just 20 years from now, just an oil and gas thriller. I mean, just, you know, yeah. that's a massive platform. It's a great platform because it's gotten us to be super smart. It's gotten us to be super thoughtful, to have so much engineering capacity, so many bright people internally, whether it be software, AI, automation, robotics, manufacturing, um, material sciences. I mean, there's so much that goes into doing what we do um, that you want to keep, you know, recruiting the best and being the best and leading, you know, paving the way. It's, it, I mean, sorry, I get, I get real excited. <laughs> <laughs> sorry. I think it's safe to see if you, you like your job. Yes, I do. Um, I do. What? So, so are you, you're talking about all the, um, the, the stuff that we just talked about. What else? I know you made a lot of other investments. Anything else that kind of sticks out? No, I mean, so that's two questions. I uh, like that. The one piece I didn't mention because it doesn't feel within the, sub, the, the, the value chain that we're creating on energy is additional layer uh, beside that, which is around emissions measurements. Uh, we've made some investments there that I think uh, could be pretty interesting. I don't think humans exactly know where the stuff is so, or how much we have. And so kind of thinking about how we measure emissions, how we use our platform to measure that kind of would be helpful. That's that. What I see the future, this is, listen, this is me, right? I, I believe the world looks more and more like an interconnected system of various modes of energy generation in energy hubs, if you will, mm-hmm. creating multiple outputs, right? Based on, I mean, let me before we say what it's based what are those outputs outputs power output storage output crypto output data center edge computing support output hydrogen output fuels output something kind of like a like a refiner right 
different modes of energy creating different outputs of things uh and and all of these works real time based on market information real time there's an inordinate amount of um, like man energy management software systems neural networks and ai that are going to have to solve all this and that's going to be super exciting to kind of figure out that i think that's the next frontier stuff okay well that's now, well, now you just yes you hit on my favorite topic ever <laughs> so yeah talk to me about whether it's stuff that you're seeing or whether the stuff the company is talking about. Because I, I spend a lot of time talking to not just the technology companies, but also the energy producers and asking them, hey, what is, you know, what are your priorities from a technology perspective? What are you looking at? What is like, particularly the large organizations and the one thing that keeps coming back, it's on everybody's mind is AI. Yeah. And so I'm kind of curious from that perspective, are you guys doing anything? Are you looking at it? What are your thoughts about it? AI means energy management optimization especially in complex systems where you have, again, many multiple inputs of something creating multiple outputs of something else. And you have to maximize value across the whole value chain from the generation side all the way through the logistics into the ultimate user of that energy or the hydrocarbon, that molecule, that spark, that electron, whatever that may be, right? There's a, that's where the AI piece is. Uh, I want to spend time right now. I feel like we spent time making a lot of investments into what we believe are the right energy input systems where we have influence. Like I said, CSP, geoconstructed solar power, geothermal, and, um, and energy storage kind of non-lithium chemistry. Okay, great. What do we do with that energy, right? There's a, lot of, there's, there's a lot of things around, you know, hydrogen, carbon capture, and synthetic fuel generation. Can, what that turns into is where we see potentially opportunity, uh, more immediate opportunity. The next frontier, like I said, is the management system, software AI management systems that optimize all of the above. That's going to be a next theme. Uh, I think it's going to be super interesting to, to figure out. That's earlier still. Like a lot of people talk about PV batteries. I think the software between. It's not, it's not as sophisticated as you would think. That yeah. could be, right? There's a lot of optimization of yeah. the system to do. And I think, uh, I think that's really, really cool next frontier stuff. Ultimately, as you're building a value chain, we do it because fundamentally, when you follow a strategy like this, you you're trying to put yourself in a position to pick winners and losers. You want your users to pick your producers. You want your producers to pick your ultimate winners and users, right? So it's kind of, we're, we're, there's, there's a method to this madness to some extent, right? Like we're, we're really trying to create a value chain from the input all the way through the consumer eventually and have a part into the pieces, right? Mm -hmm. uh, it's, it's kind of, that's it's kind of, it's ambitious, but it's a goal. <laughs> I want to go back to something you said a second ago, and you only said one word, but you said crypto. So are Oof. we talking, are we talking uh, Bitcoin mining? Are we talking? It, it's a way, it's a, it's, it's a way to move a molecule Without, I'm so glad that you're. Yeah, you're speaking my language here. Yeah, there you go. go it's it's a going. way to move a molecule it without is. having to have infrastructure, right? Yeah. To do so. I, Obviously, we're we're heavy into the Bitcoin mining space because I believe that it's a, it's a way to take any sort of stranded energy and be able to digitize that value because energy is really proof of work. Correct. Right, and then you're I able agree. to put that right into something that's digital and transfer that to anywhere in the world instantly without, you know, infrastructure in between. It's perfect. Brilliant. Correct. It's. Correct. It's beautiful the way, that it, the way that it was designed. Uh, and and the, the reason that it catches flack is for those who don't understand what proof of work truly 
means. And so high energy consumption is by design because for one, that is truly proof of work and you cannot uh, counterfeit that. Uh, but two, what that forces is more energy innovation because as things get to get more difficult, mm -hmm. it forces us, because Bitcoin mining, all it is, is energy infrastructure. That's truly what all it right. is. All right. So anyways, I digress. There's, I could, <laughs> I could go on a rant about that. Don't we all? Uh, all day. Um, yeah, what else? Anything, anything else you're saying? No, listen, um, we are, one of the things I think is worth always talking about is a lot of, look, you need, everybody that is a participant into the energy ecosystem of today, the last 100 years of evolution of energy or 200 years or whatever, the people that make today's energy are going to be critical in helping us get to the promised land. You can't do this with software alone. You can't, you, you know, yeah. understanding the scale, global scale of what it takes to produce the energy and get it to where it needs to be is going to be an absolute must piece of what that becomes in the future, right? Um, energy, traditional energy companies are not the enemy. They're the way to get there. They're the way to get there faster. They're the way to scale. They're the way to actually do it. Um, and so I kind of feel like um, that, that message is always important. Um, 100%, yeah. It's also important that um, there's a lot of talk the talk, gotta walk the walk, right? Capital, support, non-competing. We have to all have a very collaborative view as to how we approach this. Like, I don't see myself competing with any of our competitors with respect to figuring this out. At the moment, it's not about competition. At the moment, it's about opening up avenues for energy, for clean energy in the future. It's opening them up. We'll figure out how to compete later. That's not the point. Right now, we all need to be working together to figure this out. Like, it's, it's not one and for, it's not for yourself, it's, it's for everybody. Mm -hmm. uh, and I think that's another important message that uh, I try to always give. Um, I, I think it matters. I 100% agree. And I think that the incumbents, like you mentioned, are going to be the ones who continue to lead. We have the, the people, the, the skills, the, uh, you know, the, the rap sheet. Like we've, we've done it. You know, mm -hmm. and we understand the challenges associated with, with not only producing energy, but, you know, transmitting it as well and getting it to people's homes. Absolutely. So, um, no, I love, I love, I love what you guys are doing. I think it's, it's very unique. I think it was, uh, there's a lot of, uh, foresight to set on the strategy much earlier than I think. Uh, a lot of people in this space. Mm -hmm. And so I think it's it's really cool to kind of hear about all the things that you guys are looking at and investing in and, and, and kind of how you guys are thinking about yeah. the future of energy moving forward. And I think it's uh, I think it's going to pay off for you guys. I appreciate it. I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> well, Bye, my friends. <laughs> we'll, do, we'll do another episode a year from now. We'll see how it all plays exactly. out. Exactly. Um, no, it's been awesome, dude. Really, really enjoyed the conversation. It. So thanks for coming in. Not to a no, you're not just here to see us, but <laughs> thanks for coming in. <laughs> I came just up. for you guys. <laughs> <laughs> guys, uh, if you like the episode, uh, reach out to Guillermo if you're working on anything cool. Um, you're on LinkedIn, right? Yeah. Yeah, you're on LinkedIn. Absolutely. Go check out the neighbor's website and uh, we'll catch you guys in the next episode. <laughs>